This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi, this is Asian Insider. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Today, we focus on Manipur, a state in northeast India, which is a very special place for many reasons, not least of which is its special place in history. It was in Manipur in 1944 that the Japanese invasion of India during World War II was reversed. Now, Manipur is a multi-ethnic, multi-religious place of 3.1 million people, which close to one year ago exploded in violence between the ethnic Meitei and Kuki people, leaving many dead. Ongoing ethnic violence has claimed many more than 200 lives and left tens of thousands displaced. Now, Manipur also borders Myanmar, a country with which it has had a troubled history and which is right now in a state of civil war with the military regime in Myanmar not in control of many of its border zones. I have with me Bina Lakshmi Nepram, founder of the Manipur Women Gun Survivors Network, the Control Arms Foundation of India, and the Northeast India Women Initiative for Peace. Her work focuses on deepening democracy and championing security and disarmament in Manipur and across Northeast India. She has written several books and is a recipient of, among others, the Sean McBride Peace Prize. Bina Lakshmi Nepram, thank you so much for making time for this. Thank you so much, Nirmal. So, Bina, you have written that the eruption of violence in Manipur has been the result of decades of neglect and discrimination, a criminal political nexus and violent extremism. And there is also, as we know, a proliferation of small arms, light weapons, linkages with narcotic and human trafficking. And the inability to resolve these issues has led to several ethnic groups arming themselves. Could you elaborate on these issues and on the role of political parties? Yes. The tragedy that Manipur is in since the last one year, many of you and the world know about it, but the problem there is like cancer. It has been happening since the last 77 years. As many of you might know, Manipur was an independent Asiatic nation state which merged with the Union of India under what they called duress in 1949. Uh, and then, since then, a political conflict has been there between some of the armed groups in Manipur and the Indian security forces. But if you ask the majority of Manipuris who are now, as you said, around 3 million people, majority of us want peace, we want normalcy, we want rule of law, and we want democratic ethos in our part of our country. Having said that, the reason as to why this is happening is, first of all, I think I always say that India is a very ancient civilization, but a very young nation. India became a republic in the 1950s, as we know, after independence from British rule. And at that time, I think had good governance, good policies are in place, we wouldn't be seeing the kind of entrenched violence that we are seeing now. And the reason is that instead of resolving the political crisis by proper talks and negotiation, India imposed martial law in different parts of northeast of India, including Manipur Hills in 1958. In the valley, it came in 1980s, but in the hills of Manipur, in the Naga Hills, they were already there. And as a result, as the young India was growing, there were several people in Manipur 
which were killed. And as a result, in the 1960s, I think several of them started an insurgency there, having crossed the border. Uh, so this was, but initially, in the 50s, when this conflict was there, much of the struggle in Manipur was actually through sort of more social measures, like, for example, Manipur is asking for the inclusion of language in the age schedule of the Indian constitution, or Manipur was not made a state till 1972, Nirmal. So all of these issues were brewing, and the government of India tried to resolve the crisis by militarizing the area. Now, the more you militarize, the more it upset people, and smaller arms groups started forming. Now, initially, there were just one or two major armed groups in Manipur. So I always say, had good governance been there, had, had people been listened to, then we wouldn't be seeing the kind of what I called the explosion. But what we saw was government of India tried to contain the violence with more military ways. And then when they couldn't succeed in the 1990s, they started what I call a war within a war phenomena in which several small ethnic armed groups were then taken and then trained to fight bigger ethnic groups. This is what has happened. And the explosion we are seeing since last one year, Nirmal, is a byproduct of one of these phenomena in which that Manipur today, from 1970s, we had about three to four armed groups. Now we have 60 armed groups, Nirmal. So this is the tragedy. I grew up in the crucible of this violence. I've lost family members in this conflict. So for us, we thought every single year would be better. It didn't. In fact, it became worsened to the extent that Manipur is in its darkest time in our history today. 60 armed groups. That's incredible. Now, Manipur's chief minister, Biren Singh of the Bharatiya, of the BJP, the Bharatiya Janata Party, he has blamed the violence on drug mafia and illegal migrants, particularly those from Myanmar. And he has said he wants to identify and deport those who have settled in the state since 1961, which is quite a while back. Is this justified and how can it be done without further violence? So first of all, I think I truly believe in democracy. We are living in a democratic country and we will never give up our democracy. And secondly, I believe in rule of law that in any democratic country, rule of law must persist. The current situation in which, first of all, discrimination of not just people of Manipur, but of northeast of India, which is happening, is wrong. Also, if there is internal discrimination against any ethnic group by anyone, including our elected members, to target one community for putting the blame on what is happening will not be correct. In fact, rather, the government of Manipur and the government of India, with whoever believes in democracy and rule of law, must ensure that they nip this violence in the bud by, first of all, by ensuring that the arming of civilians, which is happening, including children, including really heartbreaking photographs of children being inducted into war and warfare, of what boys and girls would be studying is happening right now, Nirmal. So I think for it is at the time right now that the Prime Minister of India, his silence must be broken, the Prime Minister and his cabinet, and all right-thinking men, women, and policymakers of our country must ensure that rule of law persists in Manipur, that no one, no community, 
No one community is targeted for any what is happening. But of course, what is happening in Myanmar has impacted the safety and security. That is not to be ruled out. The fact that, as you rightly have noted out, the struggle in the northeast of India is also about identities, Nirmal. There are three struggles of homeland happening here. First, of Manipur state. Manipur state, which has been in existence for over 2,000 years. The struggle by Manipuris to protect the essence of Manipur, which is called Land of Jewels. It's a very beautiful state, multi-ethnic, as you mentioned. And the other thing is the Naga homeland struggle, where they are trying to get parts of, of Manipur, Nagaland, and parts of Burma within it. And now in the current conflict, you must be hearing the struggle for Cookie Land or Zalengam, which they call it. So these are the struggle of contesting territories, which is happening. Now, the point that so I would say as a historian that, you know, I always say, knowing my people, that the struggle for the creation of several of these have just started in the last few decades. But the essence of Manipur as a nation has been there for thousands of years. So this, for me, is a tussle between all of these. So it is going to take a while to resolve, but it's important for the media, the thinkers and policymakers to understand what is it that the people of Manipur, and I'm calling it the people of Manipur, who's trying to protect the territorial boundaries of Manipur, what are they saying? And because of this contesting territories which cross borders in which, for example, many parts of Zomi areas or Zomi land or Zalingam includes parts of Bangladesh, Myanmar and parts of Manipur also. So all of these uh, leads to not just a local Manipur issue, but it's a transnational issue now. This is not just a local two ethnic clash, but rather there are now cross-border transnational elements which have become a part of this conflict in Manipur, making it highly complicated. But I also know at the same time that for me, I have visited and traveled all across the Indo-Burma border. And I truly believe that the 272 smaller ethnic groups living here, 45 million in northeast of India and 60 million in Burma, they must all talk to one another, actually, and evoke a system of coexistence rather than hurting or killing one another, because it is not war, it's not a solution to this. Very, very complicated. Now, you have been a very powerful voice for women in particular, and women have been at the forefront of some of these security incidents, clashes, and so forth, and also bear much of the cost. Yes. What is it like for women in Manipur? Is there any security for women? And by the way, are women also being drawn into the militancies? First of all, Manipur have an extraordinary 116-year-old women's movement, Nirmal. We dated back to 1904, much before any feminist movement started in the world. We had an extraordinary women's movement called the Nupi Lal movement, means women wars, wage against British colonial rule as early as 1904 and 1939. These are wars fought non-violently by the women of Manipur to stop the British colonial rule from oppressing the indigenous communities in the state. So I come from that lineage of very strong mothers and grandmothers and great-grandmothers generation in which women of our state have stood up against colonization, against oppression and repression for over a hundred years. Manipur also has the extraordinary social structure of women's markets, where 
thousands of women congregate together and are taking care of the economy and out there. Having said this, well, Manipur has been at the forefront. So when insurgency and counterinsurgency started, I want to correct you by saying Manipuri women have always been the defenders of nonviolent ways of resolving conflicts. Mm-hmm. In the last one year, an attempt has been made to malign this hundred years old extraordinary indigenous women's movement, which I would like to tell your viewers is wrong because our mothers and grandmothers did not pick up guns. What they were trying to do is when they realized that several of these attacks which are happening on the peripheral villages of Manipur was happening and no state, no central services was stopping it, then they started coming out in the streets to protect and protest against what is happening. Many of them were killed in the process. Several women in Manipur have not only been sexually assaulted, paraded, but they have also been killed in the crossfire. So right now, I would like to say that women have been on the forefront of nonviolent struggles. Of course, I, I, I'm not saying not every woman, but a few of them in both sides, in, in both the warring groups, they have, I've seen images of them joining and being trained in arms and everything in both sides. That is a new phenomena, Nirmal. This is a very new phenomena that we are investigating. Women across ethnic groups have been facing the brunt of an ongoing armed conflict for over seven decades. It's not just a phenomena for last one year. So for me, for the targeting of women, particularly the women in the valley, in the wrongful ways would be wrong. I'm not saying all women in Manipur are pristine, but all I'm saying, if some of them may have said statements which are not in line with rule of law, but I do know 90% of them, I have seen their bravery, their courage, using nonviolent ways to resolve. In fact, if you want to bring the Manipur conflict down tomorrow, it will include the mothers of all warring parties, actually sit down together and tell their sons to lay down their arms. But no one has said this because this conflict profits few. And that is why you're seeing the conflict entering 10 months today. So with this long history of conflict, while we're on the subject of women, and you mentioned children earlier, with this long history of conflict, what is the future for you know, a child growing up in, in Manipur? What, what of the children? It's trauma, traumatic. I myself, I belong to the day I was born, there was military curfew and I, we have all grown up. We have trauma and scars in our head, in our hearts, still today, Nirma. Having said this, I also know the children currently, those who are living in displaced camps, 379 displaced camps, can you imagine? So there has been absolute traumatized childhood that these children are facing, many of them not been able to school, and those who are in school also joining schools from relief camps, can you imagine? So our team has been working uh, to ensure that they get peace scholarships. We are able to give them like warm woolens. They're able to get access to computers. They're able to have online education as well as other infrastructure that we are also trying as a team to provide because we know that education of our children holds the key to peace building, to strengthen peace building in our region. But also at the same time, for many children that we are not in our reach, many of them have been lured into warfare. There are images coming, videos of children being given toy guns, which are playing ambush 
and hit and run kind of that is really, really disturbing. So we are concerned. We have reached out to UNICEF. We have reached out to children in war because to involve children in war is a crime against humanity. So this is wrong. And we call upon those who are listening on both warring groups to not to let children be culled into war. Their childhood should be one of where they could feel hope and faith that things could get better. We are doing our best as a team, Nirmal, as a human to see that children are not facing this. But yes, it is very difficult times. And on top of that, the influx of narcotic drugs is worsening the situation. So yes, we are living in one of the darkest times in our history right now. But please also be aware that we are extremely resilient people. We have resisted violence for over 70 years. We will resist this one year too. So you mentioned the influx of narcotics. I was going to come to that. Seizures of narcotics coming in from Myanmar have increased. And I'm also told that precursor chemicals are trafficked in the other direction. And uh, India's home minister recently said New Delhi wants to build a fence along the India-Myanmar border. Well, that's a very long border, 1,643 kilometers, out of which only 10 kilometers is actually fenced at the moment. What are we to make of this? Can it be done to any real effect in the first place, the fencing And what is the answer to the narcotics issue? Yes, let me start with the fencing issue because I have traveled across the Indo-Bangladesh border also. And the kilometers is, I think, triple times that of the Indo-Burma border. And government of India has finished almost 90% of the fencing there. If you remember, Tripura also had really armed insurgencies in the 70s and 2000s for a long time, over 20 years. I have gone there and met leaders and documented this, and they brought the insurgency down in Tripura, if you can see that, right? So currently, Manipur and northeast of India is on the boil. And there is absolute insecurity in the part of many communities, not just of Manipur, but also in the border areas of this insecurity of what has happened with the war in Burma, where we have more than two to three years of of where the, there is struggle going on in Burma has spilled over to the northeast of India. Again, as a human being, as a humanitarian, the government of India have a duty to ensure that those who are coming as refugees are given protection under the principle of non-reformment, even though government of India has not signed the refugee convention. But at the same time, as hundreds of thousands of people living in Manipur are asking that they are able to ensure that their people are not inundated by what is called cross-border, trans-border trafficking, which is going on. So yes, the Home Minister has announced the border fencing. So if you have to choose between defending the territory boundary of Manipur and India in that matter, then I think it is incumbent upon the government of India to do what they feel needs to be done. For us as civilians, we want rule of law. Those who are seeking refuge People of Manipur are not saying no to it. What they are saying is when you seek refuge because of the situation, uh, there is no clarity. Then there are fake certificates. We have seen that fake passport being created. And those who are becoming citizens of India are doing it in wrongful ways is what many populations are saying. That's why they're asking for fencing. And I think these are talks in progress. I think border fencing will happen even if there are protests. Because the government and communities on the ground are feeling it. But at the same time, we also know that this border crossing do allow, there are checkpoints. 
which allow entry of people to and fro because there are communities living on both borders. This is the border drawn by the British rule. So many communities are having families on both sides as it happened in the Indo-Bangladesh border also. Right. But I think we have to look at what happened in the Indo-Bangladesh border and learn the lessons from there. If it has to bring the violence down, I think, again, we are not government, but the government must do what it needs to be done. But for the people of the northeast of India and Manipur, we want our peace and our stability, which is not there at the moment. Okay, okay. Interesting. Very complicated. I'm glad you mentioned Tripura, one of the other states in the northeast for our international listeners. Um, Bina Lakshmi Nepram, thank you very much um, for joining Asian Insider today. And please stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you, Nirmal. That nicely wraps this discussion up for the Asian Insider podcast. I'm your host, Nirmal Ghosh. Join me and my expert guests for the next episode on the fourth Friday of every month. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or within our Straits Times app. Thanks for listening.